Hello, and welcome to Modest Conversations. I'm here with Zach Smith, um, who is, among many other things, the founder of the Tree of Tenere project that just debuted two stunning reviews at Burning Man. It's great to have you on the program. Great to be here. Thanks. So yeah, so listen, I am pretty pissed that I didn't get to see this live, but everyone I know who went to Burning Man was just blown away by this project and what you put together. Um, and I would love to hear, normally in modest conversations, I say, what do you want to talk about? But in this case, Isling, I want to talk about, which is, I would love to hear the story of how this came together, what the project ended up being, like kind of the story from the start of how the, you know, of the, how this project happened. Yeah, sure. And thank you. Um, <laughs> thanks for coming on the show. <laughs> <laughs> no, we were, we were obviously really excited and even a little surprised by the reception. We had actually never seen the tree fully assembled until we got to the desert and put it together. Doing it live. <laughs> Doing it live. You know, we've done some end end testing, of course, but, um, you know, there were moments during the build process that I didn't think this thing was going to, the limbs were going to get off the ground. And yeah. so you know, it was so, obviously really rewarding to, to see the kind of the So just start response. at the beginning. So how did this even start? Like a lot of people, I didn't encounter Burning Man until recently, relatively recently. This is my third burn. Um, after my second burn uh, in 2016, like many people, I've been very inspired by the art and felt like I was ready to transition from being a consumer and even participant into maybe contributing something to the playa and had been talking with some friends at Burning Man that year about like what we could build that might bring something to the playa that was missing. And we had this idea for an enchanted forest. And it was nothing more than an idea for like an avatar-like experience at the time. Um, but like how trippy would it be if you were walking through the middle of the desert and all of a sudden you came on this lush forest that sort of became magically alive at night was sort of the original concept. And so I got back in like October of last year, started doing some research into like how we would even go about doing this thing. I'm not an artist by trade. I creative in my job, but, um, had never built anything, you know, sculptural of this sort of scale. Um, and it turned out that like even building a single tree was going to be an enormous undertaking. And so we put the sort of enchanted forest on hold and that's thought, next year, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we'll just add one tree every year until it like takes over Black Rock City. No, um, it's kind of like, you know, Israeli planted tree projects, right? Same thing. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and yeah, exactly. And very early on, um, you know, st- started putting in the intention out there, like, Hey, I think it'd be amazing to build a like magical tree of life at, uh, at Burning Man and found a really receptive community of people that, that got on board. Um, and, and how did you do that? Did you just go around shouting on the rooftops off of San Francisco, in San Francisco? Like, what was your... Uh, honestly, the entire experience is a story of mostly serendipitous connections. I mean, in some cases, I, you know, I started actively outreaching to folks I knew uh, that had some expertise in sort of some of the materials or technology that we would need to use and, and asked them for introductions to friends of theirs that might be in the Burning Man community who could help. And so I had some key introductions early on, and by... Really, like two or three months later, I'd say by early January, had what I would call like a core team of five or six people um, that were pretty dedicated to making this happen. We had a website. We had identified some partners to help us with things like making the tree structure um, and started fundraising to kind of like incrementally pay for this thing, not knowing if we would hit certain milestones. Did you have any idea what it would cost at that point? Or was like, you know what? We're going to need some money. We might as well start. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was off by a factor of two. I mean, I had done some back of the envelope. Uh, Two's not bad. Modeling. Yeah. <laughs> Two's bad when it has many zeros it had. Uh, it, was, it was an expensive project. I mean, people who there and saw it saw that the 
the bark on this tree, first of all, this, this tree is almost four stories tall and wide. It's enormous. And, and did it start out four stories tall? Was that like, how did you end up with four? I, like Actually, no, it started out, it started out about 10 feet smaller. So like three stories tall and wide. And I went around all of San Francisco with this little laser height measurer thing. It was like a Nikon, I think. Um, and I was measuring the heights of all these trees. I can literally tell you how tall every tree is within like 10 blocks of this place, like all around Dolores Park. And I got really worried that this was not going to be big enough. And in fact, it'd be totally dwarfed in the middle of the desert. And it's like, why would I go through with this? You know, why, why would we as a team go through all of this work and expense and not have this look like a grand tree in the middle of the desert? And, and so I uh, sort of found a model tree actually in Dolores Park. And I was like, that would be a great size. And, and that's what we kind of ended up modeling its proportions after. But it, it's funny, like we actually had to re-engineer the tree at that point because it had already been, I mean, this thing had to be engineered to support 60 climbers 120 mile an hour winds and an earthquake, um, you know, to get the stamp and be approved by, by Burning Man's engineers as a climbable structure. So we had actually already done that. It was a very expensive and time consuming process. And I had to go back to the drawing boards to make another 10 feet tall. That That's was like, takes like, a fair amount of balls to just be like, no, <laughs> I need another 10 feet. Yeah. I mean, yes, totally. And particularly because <laughs> of the expense. And that's sort of the part of one of the big lessons here is, I overestimated, frankly, like my fundraising abilities. I, 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 I have been an entrepreneur in my past life and raised, you know, money for companies and knew that Burning Man had a very generous network of folks that like are very inspired by that art. And, and so I, you know, I projected a lot of confidence to the team. Don't worry, like, don't worry about that. It's, you know, it's only another 20% cost to the project. Uh, it ended up being hassle. I mean, we're, we're still really dead on this project. And, uh, but I don't think any of us regret going bigger. Fair enough. So, but like, why not 15 feet? Like, it was just, was it, was it the Dolores Park tree model? No, yeah. Like, no. that is big enough? Yeah, exactly. And uh, by the way, until the, until the day I arrived on the playa, I was still worried this thing was going to feel small. Mm-hmm. And in fact, if you go around, uh, go to the Botanical Gardens, walk around your street in San Francisco, 40 foot trees, uh, it's not 40 feet, by the way, this one's like, you know, 34, 36 feet tall, um, don't seem that remarkable. But it turned out that when it was in the middle of the desert, um, and particularly at night, it was, I think it made an impression. Got it. So you build the structure and you start with like, I mean, I remember you showing me some, a piece of bark you were really excited about a yeah, lot. Right. So like you had the, like, how do we engineer like a thing that's climbable that's 40 feet and the winds and you know, yeah. the whole nine yards. Then there's like, like the bark project. Was that like a separate work stream or like how do the work streams come together on this? That was one of the most fun and challenging parts of this project is how many systems we had to, in many cases, design and engineer, um, and then work on in parallel until they all sort of came together at the end. So we obviously had the, the, the tree structure itself is made of tubular steel. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like this Navy grade steel. Again, it was proportioned specifically for lots and lots of climbers. Um, and then on top of that, we had this, um, hand sculpted, hand painted bark, um, that was sort of applied to the tree, but you know, leaving space for conduit for three miles of wire. So the whole tree structure itself, we actually had a partner down in Southern California called Nature Maker that specializes in making some of these organic forms. They're all artists. They're unbelievable. And every single piece of that was done by hand. People think that um, the tree must have been like injection molded or some other kind of manufacturing technique. It wasn't. The, the welding, the sculpting, the painting was done over many months by a bunch of artisans and they just do unbelievable work. That was just one system. I mean, on top of that, we had to design uh, 25,000 of these LED leaves and our goal was to make them look really lifelike during the day, but not have that green color tint the LEDs at night and had to do a lot of prototyping there, found another partner. Uh, uh, and then we and like, had, just like yeah. okay, so you want to make, I mean, just cause like 25,000 LED 
leaves. They're like, I, you're not, you're not buying these off the shelf. So yeah. it's like, how do you even do that? Like, was the pro, like, did you put out a bid? Did you like, like, how do you even, and like, who can support manufacturing 25,000 totally. custom LED leaves? So, so, so one of the co-lead artists on this project is a guy, Alex Green, who's CEO of Symmetry Labs, and they are a studio that does really great work with LEDs. And I actually found uh, I found them at Artumnal, which is a fundraiser that Burning Man does for its art every year. And this was back in like that November or December. Um, and he made some really helpful introductions in addition to kind of advising on the overall um, uh, architecture of the system. Um, and so through one of the partners that he was sort of familiar with, we found someone who could help us um, spec these leaves, do the injection molds, prototype, and then manufacture. And that was that was crazy. So that was like one and done. Like you basically found one person and they happened to work out yep. and trust them. Exactly. And, and there are so many opportunities in this project where, where those relationships could have failed and we didn't have time to fix them. And, and honestly, the guy, um, uh, uh, Tim at Sinotech, who helped us with that was unbelievable. He bent over backwards and, and took a lot of costs on himself actually too. Like for example, air freight, the final shipment, cause it wasn't going to arrive in time. Yeah. Um, there were lots of challenges there. And then we had to build a power system and a data system. So like, the, like, okay, so like yeah. power system, like how much power did this, did you like, was that like a, a logistical challenge or you just had to do it? Uh, it was actually was a logistical challenge. I mean, the power system had way more components than we originally imagined. It was like a nuclear powered tree. <laughs> <laughs> no, most, most Burning Man art is powered by generators, uh, you know, diesel, unfortunately. And we, we had a it's very count- counter to the tree thing, isn't it? <laughs> I know, man. If we had had another year, we'd have put solar panels right on the leaves, maybe maybe next time. That would have been but, cool. um, yeah, it was it was a it was a very large uh, diesel generator, and it fed a bunch of power distribution boxes, and then from there, again, we had like three miles of power lines going up to each individual branch, you know, positive and negative, mm-hmm. um, and Ethernet as well, which provided data so that the leaves knew which color to turn at which which moment. Um, and, and honestly, the hardest part of, of the whole build was the three days we spent just stringing that wire through the limbs of the tree. Yeah, yeah. So talk about, I mean, so basically, okay, so you have this, like, trunk from one provider. You have the bark. Have you, before, when you, before you get to the plot, have you ever put the bark on the tree? Like, have you set it up and, like, proven you have the right pieces? Or yeah, is that the, like the a... tree structure and the bark were sort of, they, those were one and done together. Got it. Um, and then dismantled into 40 pieces, put on a couple flatbed trucks, and loaded out to Black Rock City. What we hadn't really done was we knew there was conduit space in between that we had laid, um, but we had never actually gone through stringing. I think it was almost 150, 50-foot Ethernet cables and then double that number of power because we had one positive and one negative to each branch. And uh, it ended up being a heck of a lot harder than we thought. And thank God we had one of the most amazing build teams. I was totally humbled by those guys. And um, So how many were on the build team? It was actually fairly small compared to some large-scale art just because it was more of a technical build. Of, yeah. Like, Many steps that had to be done um, kind of recursively. Um, it was 14 people. Got it. Um, and and like, how do you even manage that? Like, I'm just like, this is like a fascinating thing to me. So like, you get there, you've got like a flatbed with a huge piece of Navy steel. And like, you got this bark you have to put on. And then you've got to string all this wiring through the structure. It's actually interesting. I actually would have assumed that the, 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 the uh, leaves were like, wireless so it's actually interesting that they were wired yeah we looked into some of that um was it was that just a decision because it was like it's more expensive or harder to do wireless you just don't have enough data capacity uh no way more expensive yeah yeah the the electronics that we would have had to build to like do wireless signal and you still would have had to deliver power anyway so if you're gonna deliver power you might as well just 
Yeah, might as well run another Ethernet line. The, Fine. The so you, okay, so line. then you got like you got all this wiring, you gotta like string up. Like you have fourteen people. Like how do you divide up those tasks? So I, I can't take PM. credit for by the way, for a lot of this I can't I can't take credit for. We had a builder, Nate Hedges, who's who's awesome. He had built um had been part of the catacombs build team, which was an enormous pyramid uh, kind of temple structure from two years ago. Um, and so he helped assemble the team, you know, like I said, our partners at Symmetry Labs referred some folks that were, you know, came as volunteers, but essentially professional riggers that really had a sense for how to pretty much solve any problem with any tool. Um, and by the time I got there, I got there two or three days after the start of the build. Cause I was actually in San Francisco coordinating some volunteer events. Um, you know, they had already laid out all the pieces of limbs sort of adjacent to each other around a massive radius. I forget how big this area was, but there's 10 major limbs on this, on this trunk, um, and we had like a general build plan and knew that on each day kind of roughly what we needed to do, but we essentially, you know, put the limbs together and, and strung all the wiring before we ever picked them and put them into the tree. Mm-hmm. So we had a really talented crane operator who's actually one of the artists out there, um, who did temple of gravity. And he spent about 12 hours picking these 3000 pound limbs and getting them to fit right into a key slot uh, in the tree, which is a freaking exciting moment. Cause it was the first time we had actually seen this thing, uh, come off the ground and started to feel real. That's awesome. So, okay, so you get this up. Now you got to put 25,000 leaves on the thing. Yep. Is that 25,000 is the number? Uh, so we ended up having some spares. I think it was about 20,000 we ended up using. And, and, <laughs> and each one of those has seven LEDs. So actually the, the canvas was something like, um, I mean, help me with the math right now, but it's 120, 140,000 uh, individual pixels. Um, are you asking how we did that? Yeah, like what was the process? Did you all go just like hop up in the tree and start? Like, what was, like, what was the? <laughs> it's a super modular design uh, of the of the tree. So uh, the leaves came in bundles of fifteen leaves that we call a leaf assembly, and then you would plug eight of those into a branch. Okay. And we did all that on the ground, and then you would plug it into a controller. So we actually had to manufacture our own uh, like hardware, like printed circuit board mm-hmm. um, that would power these eight leaf assemblies on this one branch, and that would that was what we connected the Ethernet and the power to. And that was done by, again, all-volunteer team, uh, Shlomo Zappel, uh, who's a hardware engineer, kind of helped us with that and was absolutely awesome to work with. So um, so how yeah. long does it take to put up 20,000 of these? Yeah, so, there's, so if, if you do the math, then there's about 150 of these. And these, these had to be 70-pound branches all said and done. Because you could these branches were weight-bearing out to the leaf assemblies. I mean, people could hang from these things if they really had to, and some did. Um, so there's 150 of these that we had to put up in the tree and that was just two teams of people working day and night on, uh, on scissor lifts. Um, we had teams of welders on the ground, uh, some of which, by the way, just came out of the woodwork as, as Burning Man often provides. Um, and they, so we had welding operations on the ground where people were welding these leaf assemblies into the branches and then teams would pick those up, bring them to the forklifts and they're all labeled. They had to go to a specific place on the tree. Yeah. Uh, so we laid out them by numbers ahead of time. And again, that took probably two full days of people working more or less around the clock. Um, but that was, that was, that was the fun part because at that point we would actually plug them in and when night would fall, we'd be able to start testing and we could fire up a limb and start to do some, some, some QA and, 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 and bug fixing and stuff. And, uh, by that point it was pretty clear this was going to be, I think, like a, a special piece. Got it. So you get all these things up and now you got like, obviously, the software systems, yep. right? Um, talk to you about like what, like what was behind it from a software perspective. How did that work? Yeah. Uh, the, so the third, the third lead artist on this project is a guy, Mark Slee uh-huh. and Mark wrote an open source, uh, software for led controls, uh, a couple of years ago called LX studio. 
and it's used around the world now for, for controlling um, installations that have individually addressable LEDs. Slee is unfortunately one of those types of people who's just like really, really good at everything. <laughs> it's actually, Amen. Like, it's extremely annoying. <laughs> <laughs> it is so true. It, yeah. It was such a pleasure to work with that guy. I can't, I can't speak highly enough of him. He, uh, he, he, he took, it took a while to come around. I mean, he was one of the many people who thought we were absolutely nuts when we originally described this project. And, and originally our ambitions were to have some of the wireless stuff you talked about and even solar charging. And it was, it was way too big a scope. But Mark, um, was also a good, a good friend in this and came on board, you know, months before the burn to, to really lend his support in many ways. He lended us hair and arts as a studio, uh, very financially supportive and, um, and, and built the software and, and almost all of the light patterns that just blew people's minds at Burning Man. Uh, so yeah, he had written this, this, this system and he built a 3d model of the tree that you can import into the software. Um, and I don't exactly know how it works, but they sort of essentially write patterns. And then when you actually get out to perform the tree there, we had live VJs, if you will, almost around the clock at night that yeah. were, essentially mixing patterns, textures, colors, and other special effects using a mixing board tied to different channels, much mm-hmm. like a DJ would mix music. Um, they sort of talked to me on the spot one, one night, and uh, I looked up, and everyone who knew how to control the tree was gone, and it was me trying to figure this thing out for the next six or eight hours. It was actually a pretty fun night. But anyway, so so Mark um, you know, built that software and, uh, and a lot of the light art. And, and what's amazing to me is... Like, it's almost easy to take for granted that we, we went through all the work of building this monstrous kind of installation and then we turned it on and it just looked beautiful. But like that was, that is, I think the most artistic part of the whole project is this light art. And, and Mark was able to imagine it on a very small model and you know, on his desktop. And I just thought it was so beautiful when it, when it got up there. Got it. So like, this is like from the summer's very like, so you have like basically literally all these like leaves and the, yep. you know, set up with LEDs in them. And like, do you, how do you know where their positions are? Like, do you question, map? Yeah. Like, I, when I was thinking of this before, because I, I haven't talked to you about this, but I was like, my assumption was like, you do some sort of like boot where like you have a camera and you like figure out their 3D position based on firing one individually and like map it with three yep. cameras or some shit and then go from there. Like, <laughs> is that or is it like pre-wired? Like, how did you do that? Yeah. So th- this was a big question mark through a lot of the process was like, it's not really a predictable structure. I mean, we didn't really know until we got out there and put all these branches in where each leaf would be in space. It's impossible to model ahead of time. Uh, so Cemetery Labs took the lead on that and had some really talented people working on computer vision solutions for a month or two at least going into Burning Man. Um, we ended up, I forget the exact technology they used, but I, I believe it involved actually iOS 11 AR kit. Um, that allowed them to really precisely position That's a plug. individual <laughs> leaves. Yeah, it's probably some other custom software as well. But um, So yeah, they actually spent the first couple nights of Burning Man um, up in the tree. We were running pretty patterns, you know, um, you know to, uh, to make sure there was a great experience for participants. But they were actually, if you looked at the tree really closely, there was always like one of those leaf assemblies with 15 leaves. It was like a different color. It was like just bright purple. And that, right. they, were, they were mapping the position of it. It took them three nights. Um, so you didn't buy, it wasn't like per LED or per leaf, exactly. it was per branch. They modeled what, they modeled what a leaf assembly looks like, which is Got 15 it. leaves and then positioned that in space, um, using this, this AR tech and, uh, yeah. And there's, keep in mind, there's like 1700 of those things or 1500 of those things. So it was, it was a very laborious manual process, but it was amazing to see 
how dramatically that improved the the visual impact of the piece over the week. Like Monday, we were actually we were running patterns, but it was totally random. Yeah. Um, and Mark had done a great job creating content that would look good, whether or not we had the mapping in place, because I think, frankly, he was skeptical that we were going to pull it off. <laughs> but by the end of the night, I mean, you had, but, but by the end of the week, you had these just incredible swirls of color that could move seamlessly through the tree. And um, I'm so glad those guys pulled it off. Yeah, because that seemed like a cool piece. I mean, just like, again, I'm really sad that I missed it in person, but like a cool intellectual problem, which is just like, okay, like take an assembly of any arbitrary set of LEDs in theory, right? And can you basically, if you fire them in sequence or fire them in clusters or like run some algorithm with, I guess, with computer vision and like basically create a screen out of anything, which is kind of cool. Yeah. That's kind of how we described it as like this massive kind of dome shaped screen, if you will, where the pixels in this case are leaves. Um, And I, I honestly think that, these guys would probably tell you they've scratched the surface of what they think they could do with that now that they've seen it out there and we've learned. Yeah, I mean, I can imagine, like, thinking about, like, in a concert, like, if you just grab everyone's phone or something, right? Yeah. And, like, run a sequence on it and, like, use it as, like, a massive human size. <laughs> yeah, I think the – my understanding <laughs> is the computer vision would need to uh, would need to improve from where it is today to be able to do something like that sure. that quickly. But um, no, no doubt. That Come that's on, same how thing. No problem. <laughs> <laughs> just speed it up. Um, these guys can do anything, I'm sure. Got it. So, okay, so you get this thing up. You got your, your it's actually kind of cool. So it sounds like the actually art evolved over Burning Man as you kind of dialed in the system in more ways than one. Keep in mind, like we had some crazy dust storms Tuesday and Wednesday. So mm-hmm. the, the tree over the course of the week went from this really kind of trippy, verdant green leaves, brown trunk, clearly out of place to kind of a little bit of a ghost tree. And people actually really commented on liking to see that evolution. We actually liked it better at night toward the end of the week because the, um, the, the dust that accumulated on the leaves really helped with diffusion mm-hmm. um, of the color. Uh, but yeah, it, it, um, it evolved in a couple different ways, I thought, that were pretty special, some unexpected. Got it. So you get this thing up, you got it all kind of wired. People, like, talk to me about, like, the first people outside the project, like, I guess it's an interesting thing because I guess people were seeing it all as throughout the build. So there wasn't like one like reveal moment. It was more like a sequence of like people experiencing it in different ways. That's definitely true. Um, the first night where we started plugging in like two or three limbs, like I said, it was the first time you could kind of stand from one standpoint and really get a sense of the scale of this thing. It was pretty special. And, and it was before Burning Man opened, they, they issue early access passes, mostly for people that are building their building. Yeah. Uh, and I feel that that's probably Friday night or Saturday night. And, uh, that was really fun for the whole team. Cause we, I mean, I don't, I won't speak for everyone, but most of us were pretty darn delirious at that point. I mean, days had started to blend together. We were probably working 18 plus hours. Um, but you know, we're, we're loading these limbs up or these, uh, these branches up in the tree. And, and, uh, and it was, it was really fun to see, uh, the crowds that sort of gathered, um, especially when we turned off the flood lamps that were lighting up the workspace. It was, it was definitely an aha moment for us. It was, it was cool. That's awesome. Yeah. So that comes together. And then, like, talk to me, like, so there was, like, how did this, like, right of spring thing happen? Ha! Huh. That got, I mean, I just, again, I was watching it along from home, but that sounded, like, a pretty cool, like, did that happen, like, spontaneous? Like, was that pre-planned? Like, what happened? Tell the story of that. Yeah, it's funny. Everything you mentioned reminds me of a whole different group or set of amazing people that, that helped make this happen. So um, we knew early on that we wanted the the tree to be a literal platform. Like we, we actually built a stage around it, um, to cover the trees as a platform. The, the, yeah, trees <laughs> a platform. Uh, yeah, there's 
first you build the tree and then it becomes a platform. You can't just it like was start a as a platform in the way you're talking about. You know, we open source <laughs> the entire thing. So if you actually go to treeoftenere.com, we have a link to our GitHub. And you can see, obviously, Alex Studios open source, yeah. the 3D model of the tree. And for the low cost of a few hundred thousand dollars and, and a year of your life, you too can have one of these trees. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. The only thing free is the software, I'll say that. Um, the uh, Anyway, we actually built a, there's a physical stage built around it because it, it, that was covering the, the, the steel iframe base that was holding the tree down and all the electronics and stuff. Anyway, so, and we thought, like, this would be an amazing canvas to have kind of, like, live performance under. So, mm-hmm. um, we had scheduled, um, one guy on our team in particular, Clay Sater, who's amazing, had great relationships all over Burning Man and helped us coordinate with soloists. And I think, you know, we had a pianist perform one night under the tree while the leaves interacted with his music. Um, we had string quartets, obviously lots of DJs on art cars. Uh, and, and one of the opportunities that, that he brought to us early on uh, was these crazy people that wanted to do a full rendition of Stravinsky's Rite of Spring, which involved not only, I want to say it's a 50 or 60 person orchestra at least, but also uh, an entire uh, group of dancers mm-hmm. um, that were doing some modified choreography. And as soon as we heard about it, we thought this is perfect. First of all, Rite of Spring is literally like a celebration of, of nature in some mm-hmm. ways. Um, the original set design for that production back in the early 20th century actually was a, massive tree painted on the, in the background. So, um, you know, we reached out to, to Courtney, um, who it was kind of leading the entire effort and, um, and kind of pitched, why don't you do this on the tree? I think they wanted to do it in front of the temple and, uh, we sent them some renderings of the project. I think they were, they were sold. Um, and that was one of the big, you know, those kind of collaborations were one of the big things that kept us driving through this project is people started to depend on this thing and were like building it into their plans for mm-hmm. kind of the art that they were creating. Um, and so we were happy that it was able to come together, but yeah, we can't take any credit for that. We, 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 we provided the platform. Mark Slee did, um, uh, did the light art, uh, uh, that I think was a lot of people's first introduction to the tree and that was, it was beautiful. Um, and yeah, I mean, if, if folks weren't there, it was probably, I, I gotta say a couple thousand people kind of gathered around to see it. It was, it was a special night and, and I, and kudos to the orchestra. I was very skeptical. I, I played, I played an orchestra through college. It's like there's no way to get a volunteer orchestra to bring 70 instruments to the middle of the desert and actually pull off right of spring. It's not like that's not easy music. And uh, it was cool. That's awesome. really well. So what were they like? I don't know. What were some of the other highlights for you? We had a couple a couple things. So we had some unexpected issues with the leaves that required essentially hundreds of hours of volunteer labor to retrofit them with fiberglass rods, namely for wind. Um, we wind tested the the first stuff that came off the assembly line and didn't have time to actually fix it before it was all shipped. So that at the time seemed like a so massive... You just, just to stop you there, it's an interesting like, anecdote. So like, you basically had these leaves. You knew they weren't going to work. We were like, "Fuck it, we got to go and let go of what we got." We're printing, we're printing all this yeah, stuff. Yeah, they were out already being manufactured. There was no way that we were going to be able to change the the injection mold mm-hmm. or anything and, and stay on close to the timeline we needed. Uh, what was amazing is that the guy that was doing our leaves hopped in to help and helped us procure all the things that we needed, design the solution. So we essentially had to have I mean, that tree is made of lots of impressive materials, but what people don't realize is probably a hundred thousand zip ties <laughs> and a couple thousand fiberglass rods that were giving those things like strength and flexibility for the crazy winds that Burning Man can experience. Long story short, though, we 
we that required us to get probably two to three hundred hours of volunteer labor to touch every single one of these, and it to fold it in a couple ways and put on lots of zip ties to to fasten it to these um, to these rods, and and that seemed like a massive hiccup and headache at the time. But what it actually allowed us to do is probably engage over a hundred volunteers down in Southern California and here in San Francisco at Heron Arts, um, and that turned into a beautiful community. I mean, that was. A really uplifting part of the entire experience was seeing how many people came out, some of whom had never been to Burning Man or weren't going to go this year, but wanted mm-hmm. to contribute in some way. Um, and just the joy they brought to the project and seeing those folks out on Playa along with the rest of the core team were, uh, I think among some of my most rewarding moments because we were selling them a vision. Nobody had any idea when we were in these warehouses folding these leaves together that, that um, of what this thing would actually look like it was all put together. And I loved the, the pride that the people had and having contributed to it. So that was beautiful. Um, Burning Man is an amazing community and also organization. I'd say those are the final two things. First of all, like I will admit that we went out to the build a little understaffed and, um, it was amazing the last couple of days of the build, the number of people that came out of the desert with incredible skills and pushed us forward at times when like we were pretty darn beat. Um, there were probably, 25 or 30 people that gave us six to eight hours or more of just hot, you know, time in the desert, um, putting this thing together. That was, that was humbling and really made this piece feel not like ours, but part of, um, something much, much bigger. The final thing is like, you know, I want to give a, none of this large scale art and I don't want to speak for everyone, but I think it's safe to say most, almost none of this large scale art could happen without the Burning Man organization. They fund meaningfully at least 60 projects a year through their honorarium program. Ours is one of them. Um, beyond that, they pair each project that wants to go, whether or not you got funding with a project manager that helps you, um, kind of work out all the logistics on your way out there. And then once you're there, there's an immense amount of support, um, from the organization. They have an entire building, uh, on Playa dedicated art support services. They interact with a team called heat, which is heavy equipment. These guys are like mostly guys and gals, mostly all volunteer operators of like really freaking impressive machinery, like 40 foot cranes and, and stuff. And I just hadn't really visualized what this build was going to be like. And I was just honestly humbled by how efficient and effective that organization was. When you needed something, you'd go to the artery and say, I need a 40 foot crane to pick 30, you know, 3000 pound limbs. And, you know, generally an hour later, somebody showed up to and do the job like, and work all night. I mean, it's like crazy. So like you, when you kind of put this together, like how did you have the, did you just have confidence that like, the crane would have come through. <laughs> like, it's kind of a funny thing to like think about, like just showing up in the desert, this thing you've been working on for a year it's without true. like a like day, like a date assigned with the crane. It's so it, honestly, that was, that was a, one of many stressors going out there was, you know, talking to the heat team and they're like, yeah. And just so you know, this is all shared equipment. And by the way, the Wednesday before burning man, like 200 installations show up to, to put stuff together. So you better be done by then. Um, and it ended up being fine, but it is, it's scary, but it's, it's, it's a shared resource. There's no way, like if we had to pay to get that heavy equipment out there and operate it, it would have been, it would double our costs and made this entire thing infeasible. I think that's fair to say for a lot of these projects. So the fact that Burning Man over the years has evolved that capacity and the largely volunteer team of people that operate that stuff is just, is just incredible. Burning Man is a platform. The tree's a platform and Burning <laughs> Man's a platform. It's platforms on platforms on platforms. What is really interesting, I think, is a lot of people think of Burning Man as a very self-organized, bottoms-up kind of phenomenon. And that's definitely true. But if you read anything about the history of Burning Man, it, it, the success of that event also has a tremendous amount to do with 
balancing that with some central planning and mm-hmm. support. And uh, I think that the arts at Burning Man, the way those have evolved over the last, I mean, well, since before I got there, a testament to that. Very cool. What was the most surprising thing for you? In a, in a sea of surprises, it sounds like. Um, I'm surprised it worked. <laughs> <laughs> spoken, spoken like a, a product manager after it's over. <laughs> after it works. Um, I was surprised. I mean, gosh, there's so many, so many surprises. I, you know, I, we did a panel, um, at the artery during the event and it was kind of like a meet the artists and it was like a Q and a, and they, they had it over a couple of days and we got to go up on stage and speak with some folks. And, and one of the guys up on there was like a tried and true Burning Man artist that brought some incredible installations, including Temple of Gravity this year, which are these like, I think 12 or 15,000 pound suspended boulders, just really a, a, a wonderful work of art. Um, and, and, and he kind of said some poignant stuff about like being a Burning Man artist or like or bringing large scale installations to play, it can kind of break you. And, and he meant that in very literal ways. Like it, it can hurt relationships and hurt people financially. Um, I think we all experienced that at some point on this project. I mean, it was, it took a lot out of us and, um, and we never could have done it obviously without the help of so many supporters and donors that, that came out of the woodwork. <clears throat> the, the build process itself was very stressful. Just, you know, Burning Man doesn't postpone <laughs> if you're not ready in time. Uh, and the teardown too, cause we had horrible weather after teardown. So, um, you know, I got to say, for like a lot of people on the inside of that project, like, you know, our memories aren't necessarily, unfortunately, like just unencumbered joy and a feeling of rewards. Like there's a lot of people are dealing with a lot of stress and yeah. decompress kind of after that. Um, but I do think what I, one of the things that surprises me is like that's fading pretty quickly. And it's and it's nice to to be able to reflect on and just kind of enjoy some of the more magical moments that we had in play. Totally. So, OK, so you get through this whole thing. It's an incredible thing. From everyone's pretty amped about it. Like, seems like an incredible success that was totally easy and fun to put together <laughs> to everyone who wasn't you. <laughs> the, um, and like, then you go to tear down. Like, did you have like a? Pl- I'm actually just curious. Like, so you, do you have a plan for like how to get this thing disassembled <laughs> off the playa and then whatever into storage or what comes next? Did an angry person from headquarters ask you to t- ask that question? No, no. <laughs> I just, I mean, you know, it's like when you tell me you're talking about welding things on the playa, the question is how do you, you got to unweld them after. <laughs> yeah, it's so funny. I mean, we, you can't imagine how everyone is scrambling on all cylinders going to this event. And to be honest, like we, we flubbed the, the teardown. Uh, I think it's a rule of thumb. You need to secure twice as many people as you actually need because by the end of the week, folks everyone's are exhausted. Burned. I mean, yeah, they're and ready to go home. Um, uh, yeah, huge shout out to Ricky. So we, <laughs> we, uh, we, we, the first couple of days were fine and there's some amazing people that offered to stay on and help. And I'm so grateful to them. And then we had horrible weather the, the Tuesday and Wednesday after Burning Man where at two or 3 PM, we were just kind of getting started and ready to work through most of the night with this heavy equipment and, uh, blinding dust storms would come through. You couldn't see your hand in front of your face for two hours, then rain and they'd shut the whole thing down and say, come back tomorrow. That pretty much some version of that happened more or less two nights in a row. It was devastating because we we're just bleeding team members. People have to go. They need to leave and get back to their, their regular lives. By the end of it, we we're three or four people taking down a 30,000 pound tree. <laughs> um, and one guy in particular who's a rigger from New York, um, amazing guy, actually two of them, Ricky and Billy, 
uh, I have an eternal debt of gratitude too, because those guys just know how to freaking push and get stuff done when I was kind of a little bit of a manic mess, uh, and, and helped us get it on. And, and honestly, I think there's still a flatbed truck somewhere right outside Burning Man with a piece, uh, with with the tr- with the lit with the trunk because we put it on top of the steel I beams that were holding it up and it's too it's too tall to go under some of the underpasses <laughs> <laughs> on its way to storage so uh, that's pretty funny thank you Tom Breen our amazing trucker who's gonna have to deal with that um, at some point in the next that, couple days that's hilarious okay <laughs> so you got this thing where is it in storage. It's sitting, you know, Tom's got a ranch, uh, I want to say outside Fernley, um, and, and this guy's a legend. Uh, he, I think he did over a hundred loads, not just among our project, obviously, but a whole bunch of other large art installations and other sound camps. Uh, so he keeps super busy with his crew, um, and he, he offers to keep our stuff in stores kind of on the flatbed trucks or in the, in the shipping containers out on his property until we figure out what to do with it next. And what, what do you think's going to happen next? <laughs> um, Will the tree be back at Burning Man next year? I'm questioning pre- I'm pretty confident saying it won't be back at Burning Man next year. Um, it's obviously for, for practical reasons that it's immensely expensive to move, and I think the the team that knows how to do that best just needs a year to burn. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the question what to do next is there's a lot more interest than I think we even imagined and, and could have hoped for, and. Uh, we pushed off really making many of those decisions for a couple of weeks just to kind of decompress a little bit. Um, and now the team is getting back together and kind of figuring out uh, what to do. There's some really interesting opportunities. There's some some art galleries that are the best in the world that, that are really interested in taking this piece and, and, and see it as potentially a piece of fine art. Um, there's a whole bunch of people in uh, you know, entertainment industries who would love to see it at their events or outside their casinos and, and then there's a whole bunch of events like light festivals and, and other um, cultural experiences like Burning Man that would where we would love to you know, have people experience a tree. Um, and so kind of got to figure out what's what the plan is. We're not sure. Very cool. So to the next Zach Smith, who's like figuring out, who's going to have some completely ridiculous plan of art to put at Burning Man. Like, what do you wish you had known? A year ago, when you started this, the first thing that comes to mind is that what's far more important is what I didn't know. And Mark mentioned this on a Facebook post about a healthy dose of naivety. Yeah, it's really inspired the project. Well, I think that, it, that's critical in any crazy. It adventure. really is, and you know that as well as anybody. But like, <laughs> I think often in big endeavors like this, and I don't, I don't pretend that Burning Man art is like the world's biggest endeavor, but it was a big project with lots of people, and. Um, I think inevitably you look back and you're like, holy smokes, I don't know if I could do that again. I don't regret doing it, but it's like the most fun I never want to have. Yeah. Uh, that's definitely the feeling of the experience. Um, I had no idea the number of systems that uh, were going to be involved and the number of people that would need to come kind of out of the woodwork to make something like this happen. Um, in terms of advice, I would just uh, ask, you know, warn people to be ready for this to consume you. I remember talking to Dan Sullivan who built Catacombs, which is to this day one of my all-time favorite installations and burns. And he was like, you do know this is going to like consume your life for the next year. And I'm thinking like, no, I got this down. Like I already found, you know, partners to do X, Y, and Z things. Um, and he was obviously absolutely right in retrospect. Um, and, and so that just needs, you know, for many, for many people that try to do things like this is obviously a full-time job and I have a tremendous amount of respect for the work they do now, certainly more so than I even did at the time. Um, but yeah, it's just a, it's a, it's a, it's a big thing to pull off. But what's amazing is that there's a, 
I don't know of a community on earth that could come together around this thing the way that the Burning Man one did to, to bring it to life financially through, you know, volunteers, um, yeah. In what other group in your life can you put out an intention to build a four story climbable tree with 140,000 LEDs and like over the course of eight months have enough, have enough support to actually make that possible. So it's there if you want it, just be ready to work. Yeah. You sound, this is good. You remind me of um, my co-founder at Finn, Andrew Cortina always describes he, when we were deciding whether to do in a startup, having each done one, he was like, he kind of quoted um, Odysseus, in the Iliad, right? He's like, I'm never going, he doesn't want to go back to war. He dresses up as a woman. He's like, I'm not here. Like, he's like, and it's like kind of one of those things where you're just like, I can imagine, I can imagine in a year you being someone like asking you to like go back to war and these things and you just being like, ah, like. <laughs> nope. See you on the other side. Yeah. No. no, I bet, I bet you'll be like, hell yeah, count me in. Because you'll forget the pain and you'll only remember the, the I, glory. I hope so. I hope so. That was one of my intentions actually going out there is I didn't want this to get to a point where it was so stressful that like, I, I wouldn't want to, you know, at least participate in a project like this. And I, I've been telling people like, we were net takers in the playa this year in terms of the amount of support that we needed to build this thing. And I would love to just kind of go back out and be part of a build crew and help someone else's vision come to life in, in next year. Cool, man. Well, congrats on what seemed like, I mean, I remember when you first told me what you wanted to do, I also thought you were crazy. Um, but it sounds like, I mean, it looked like it was an incredible success. And I know that a lot of people deeply appreciated what you did. So awesome. Yeah. And thanks for sharing the story. Yep. Um, thank you. Till the next project. <laughs>